today's episode, I'm chatting with Caroline Chung. I was trying to remember when we met, and I'm going to say it was in the year 2000s because it was a long time ago. But that being said, I love the fact that Caroline and I met years and years and years ago as through WCB Claims Management, as through her consulting business, as through the world of volunteering in the Alberta kind of health and safety world, but we've reconnected most recently and naturally, naturally, I said, Caroline, you've got to come on the podcast because I remember learning so much about claims management from you way back in the day. And I would love for the listeners to learn more about claims management, WCB process. This is your host, Amy Arsnow, and welcome to the Transmit Safety Podcast, a podcast that will help you achieve a holistic approach to workplace health and safety with practical solutions introducing new or alternative ways of approach to put that value of safety into action. So fill up that workplace approved beverage of your choice and tune in to today's episode. Thanks so much for inviting me to talk about WCB and share some insight for your listeners. And actually, we met, I think it was 2008. I got my first tour of a construction site, and that is the first time I actually got to meet you. I worked at WCB for over 14 years. I started literally in the basement in filing (laughs) and worked my way up into adjudication, making entitlement decisions on claims for over three years. I now am a safety consultant. I do help employers with WCB claims management, and I teach courses at certain safety organizations, and one of them is about managing injuries in the workplace. And I do like to say whatever it is that you think you are never going to do at work, somebody is engaging in those activities very likely. And I'm the unsafest safety person in the kitchen my husband would tell you. (laughs) When you first (laughs) told me that, I paused and I was like, "Mm, yeah, that's a really good antidote because everybody makes mistakes and every, like we as people are fallible and we need to embrace that when we're creating our health and safety management systems because things will happen and when they happen, how you respond matters and how you decide to go about the claims management process within your company matters. When we were chatting about, you know, what should we talk about or not, I thought about my claims management experience. And when I was an internal safety person, one of the tasks that landed on my desk was claims management. And I found it hard for me to balance the requirements of claims management, return to work, limiting the stats, limiting that lost time, limiting those number of modified work days. I found it hard for me to balance that asking the worker to return to work when they were injured because I knew if that was me, I'd want to be at home. So the first kind of kickoff conversational point I wanted to bring forward is what advice would you have for those new to case management, claims management, and maybe even clarifying the difference of term, is it potato, potato? But those who are new to managing the return to work programs within their organization, What would be some advice that you would want to just kick that right off the hop with? I think it does fall within a management framework, and I call it claims management because we focus on WCB claims, disability management. I 
think about the whole WCB process as a cauldron and what do we contribute? And there are some things that I don't have any control over. I don't know what the doctor is going to say. So it really is about what respect am I bringing to that Mm -hmm. cauldron and acknowledging who all of the other contributors are. WCB is medically driven. That means the doctors are leading the processes. It's case managers and adjudicators who are just following WCB policies and procedures. So just be respectful moving forward in that interaction and just keep in mind whatever we tell WCB, the worker can get a copy. So really be respectful. They are medically driven. So if the worker is saying, I don't feel like I could come in today, have them speak to their doctor. This could be the first time they're ever going through a WCB injury. And so I think we maybe need to explain the process to them. WCB may not pay you. Here is our modified work offer within your personal work restrictions. And be compassionate. They may actually just need that day to decompress, but that doesn't mean they're going to get paid by WCB. Maybe they want to take vacation days, but make sure you're getting that offer in writing or they're refusing in writing. And maybe they might think, okay, I'm going to take two vacation days or engage them in other ways. Here's our list of modified duties. What do you think you can be doing today? And give them a little bit of control and inclusion into what's happening to them instead of them just being a bystander in their recovery. This is what you need to do. This is what we're informing you to do. But rather than take that hard line approach, pulling it back and having that dignity and respect aspect to it because everybody is human. And I love your touch point on that. Now, when you get the, I got this, and I'm sure our listeners who have to deal with the management side of the claims thing, I've heard the workers faking it or from managers, how do you make this go away? You probably have heard it more often than I have because I don't deal with claims anymore. But when you get the response from management, the workers faking it, or when you get the note from the management team, the how do you just make this go away? How do you make this injury go away? This claim go away? How do you make this go away? But you need to advocate for that worker. You need to advocate for the actual success of the return to pre-injury status while still addressing, I think, the concerns of the management team about how that's going to potentially maybe impact their business. So I'm going to throw that hot potato over to you and say, like, when you get approached with the workers breaking it, or how do you just make this go away? What should we consider or initially, how do we approach that? It's really bad if management's thinking the worst of their employees and Mm -hmm. other workers are watching. They might not know the details, but they might see, wow, someone's suddenly on crutches and management's treating them really poorly. And very few workers are looking for an opportunity to hurt themselves purposefully. I do not go into the kitchen purposefully to have a subsequent hospital visit. I just forget some things. So the question is, do they have proof that the worker is faking it? We need to really focus on evidence or documents that are going to support that. And how can all workers be faking it? That would be shocking (laughs) to me. Statistically not. No. Exactly. Over 90% of claims are accepted based on WCB's annual report from 2021. If it was a pre-existing condition, does that mean there wasn't a hazard in your work environment that caused that worker to be injured? Because that's a principle of WCB. It's no fault. And 
if they were a bad worker before, what's going on with your hiring practices? What's happening within your discipline performance management plans? There were likely red flags if they were a problem before, you should have dealt with it. And WCB is not the discipline management plan. And it's never personal. I'm not going to get myself hurt today with a broken finger to upset my manager. (laughs) We have to also just keep in mind with management that they've heard well-told stories. I've got well-told stories. That's not the norm. And so it's easy to paint everybody with the same brush. So I think it's about with management having positive communications about employees and making sure that our plans are well communicated. Management has improved them. And we're talking about them in safety meetings so that there's no surprise here. And the first time that they hear about the process shouldn't be when the worker gets injured. Exactly. You're building that into your communication plan. So there's multiple touch points about the process, about your policies, your procedures during orientation, during a cycle, however frequently you want to bring that up. But you mentioned 90% of claims for it. Was that in for Alberta for that stat? Yeah, just for Alberta. Very few are being denied. Now, one of the things that your clients might come to you as a consultant is maybe when they get to that appeal process. And how often in your experience, is there a need for a company to appeal a claim? And if so, what would maybe be some of those reasons? I rarely appeal a claim. If I can avoid that, then I'm going to try to do that. We get a lot of opportunities to communicate our discontentment with WCB, but focus on not speculation. I think they hurt Mm -hmm. themselves on the weekend. You need some proof. Present your evidence. If you get new evidence, present that. And... They have a whole process for, tell me what the issue is. Explain to me what policy you're actually going to approve this under. And if it's now not substantiated, I might start to question some things. And that's where we can maybe take it to the first level of appeal. But I'm not just going to say, they hurt themselves at work. You shouldn't be accepting this. I need to bring something to the table. So I think also is to know the policies and procedures at WCB and know when to ask for help, when to call a WCB consultant. A lot of this you really can manage internally, but know when to call and just bounce it off a consultant or call Office of Appeals Advisors and see how they can maybe help an employer who doesn't want to pay for a consultant. Because really the primary focus that we should have as health and safety practitioners and professionals is the prevention of the injury in the first place. That's right. That's right. We've already talked a lot about safety management systems, your hiring practices, your performance management plan, and even harassment. What does that look like when we actually enter into a claim? Workers harassing someone injured. When you're coming back, you're faking it. It's not helpful. So even before a worker gets injured and there is a claim submitted, you want to be prepared for it. And you as in the health and safety practitioner professional, or maybe even if you're listening and you're in HR and you're like, yeah, that's on my docket as well. But part of that successful return to work program is being proactive and having the right processes and procedures, as you've mentioned already, within your health and safety management system. When you're working with clients who call you and go, help, (laughs) I need some help. 
What do you often see for gaps within their program? They don't have a complete disability management system. They haven't thought about all of the things that could go wrong. What if this worker does refuse modified? Do we have forms that have a built-in component that can address that? People don't understand WCB policies or procedures. They've already fired the worker, and that's a really difficult one for me. Once you've terminated, I can't really be helpful to you. You do have to give them a little more latitude through your policies and procedures Because if you fire them, all WCB is going to see is that modified duties are no longer available. And it needs to be a huge reason for them to support that you are right in terminating your working relationship. And they have to change the blame the worker mentality. That's a big gap that I see already. And there's no internal lens. When have they evaluated, okay, how has management contributed to this issue here? And so those policies should be reviewed annually, regularly, close loopholes. If something you didn't know, a worker got through, close those things. And then people didn't know when to ask for help. It's just gone on. We're eight months on. That's a long time. And now I'm the fixer, which I don't necessarily think I can fix things. You can fix things for them for their next claim. (laughs) Not necessarily this one. I can help you, but not the way that you probably are thinking or wanting me to help you. That's right. Let's do some lessons learned on this one and focus on our disability plan, our health and safety management system, our hiring practices, our communication Mm -hmm. plans. When I first had claims management kind of landing on my plate, I had the privilege of having, I think, some very experienced health and safety people that I reported into. I worked with a very dedicated team and I had some really good internal support. But then that's where I met you as well, because even I saw that, that even who I, how to phrase this, the people who I was learning for, my mentors said, you know what? We need help on this. And they reached out to your company to get help. And that was right at the beginning of my health and safety kind of career journey. And it was a really good aha moment to me that even the people who I thought were at the top of their game were calling and asking for help for other from other people who specialize even further. Right. We need what? to know. Sorry. I was going to say oh, we no, need to no. know when is outside our scope. And that links to the your ethics as a health and safety professional practitioner. When do you need to recognize that this is outside of my competency? And yeah, you could go to some WCB seminars and you can get a little bit of the training, but it's the application of that in your actual workplace. Because how many claims have you touched that have been carbon copied the exact same? They aren't. We're all different humans. <laughs> Well, how big is my cauldron? How many times is the cauldron spilled over? These are all just really good considerations. Two people break their leg today doing the exact same task. This is not going to go the same way. This is why it's so wonderful in our world. We're all individuals making different contributions. So I think it's wrong to think, put it in the photocopier. I've dealt with this before. Even I will call some other WCV consultants, and we will bounce stuff off of each other because maybe I've not dealt with the situation or a policy in a while, and I want to get their insights. So I'm not scared to even 
know when to call in some help. <laughs> in a recent CRSP study group that I'm volunteering on, we were talking about the line of confidentiality, especially when it comes to medical information. And the line of ensuring the health and safety in terms of when you're developing those restrictions and when it's connected to a medical condition, illness, or disease. From your perspective, when you're dealing with a claim, when you're dealing with the worker, you're getting the physician's report, maybe you're interacting with WCB, who needs to know those very specific details? Like that, that to me is, is a code of ethics connecting question. So I wanted your perspective of that. When you have a worker, when you're dealing with restrictions and you're getting information that is very confidential, how do you deal with that confidentiality? That's such a good question. I don't think a lot of safety people really think about that. If you are working in an office with a door, please lock it and close it. We have social insurance numbers. I have personal health numbers. I have diagnosis on medical reports. So everybody's on a need-to-know basis. So management, I can understand that you're providing regular updates. For supervisors, they need to know the work restrictions and maybe the body part. So we got an arm issue. Please don't ask them to go out and fly a kite today. And also as things update medically, they can do more. We're going to maybe have them back full hours, but still on modified supervisor needs to know that. For HR, they need to know there could be modified hours. What about harassment policies, your drugs and alcohol policies? Payroll might need to know, okay, we're going to do modified hours now. So they'll have to make an adjustment or they're just missing time. And they could also be having to focus on employee benefits and other things related to that. So they need to know only about hours and pay. And for the WCB coordinator or safety practitioner overseeing this, work restrictions, getting documents signed, what is the return to work plan? When is the next medical appointment? Keeping things under lock and key. I have seen a lot of investigation reports that include WCB reports. And so now we have them in multiple locations, potentially. And so we really need to maintain confidentiality of that information. Coworkers, they are only to know if the worker chooses to share. That is it. That's all. And so really make sure that you're not contributing to that violation of private information. Very much so. And one of the things that you touched on is you're seeing investigation reports with WCB attached to it or in the same file folder. But from even a document management perspective, there's confidentiality connected to document management. And then there's the confidentiality of what you can say to other people. And how do you, for our listeners, how do you navigate the request for more information from the supervisor or even from the CEO? Like, what is a nice way to say, that's none of your business. Here's what you need to know. Like, <laughs> what, what's your go-to to be like, nah, you don't need to know that. I've even heard of clients wanting to know what's going on with this particular individual. And I think that we need to think about that privacy PIPA legislation and what are the implications. It's a hefty fine if a worker finds out there's been a violation for a breach of that confidentiality. I think that giving diagnosis or body part, that's one thing. But talking about, oh, I see in some medical reports that 
they have some ongoing family health issues. Absolutely not related. So I think that we sometimes do get information that's more than the claim is about. And I think just making sure that when you give management updates, that you include enough of an update so they're not necessarily wondering what more is there. Scrub it clean, but give enough of an update. Here is the next medical appointment. This is going to be their doctor. They are going to physio. But diagnosis, that's a dicey one. The process is continuing. The process is moving along. And right. now it's time for you to move along on the <laughs> of what we're talking about today. Yeah. You mentioned drug and alcohol policy. Uh-huh. And I just wanted to maybe put in a nugget that if a worker is non-compliant with the with your company's drug and alcohol policy, does that magically weigh <laughs> the claim? Which is what a lot of the managers and companies will say, well, they were non-compliant with the drug and alcohol policy, and therefore we should fire them and the claim goes away, but you it's no fault insurance. And maybe can you right. touch on that? Because I see that. I still hear that. In the field. I do as well. The Unfortunately. Whole, <laughs> yes, they are no fault. WCB has its own policies that will supersede yours. And you don't have to like it, but we move within it. And in order to understand what they are, we have to go find that out. And so I just accept that it is not a perfect system, that they are called the Workers' Compensation Board for a reason. And employers pay into it most mandatorily, but in return, they are protected from being sued. So do you want a lawsuit? So I do think that there's going to be workers that violate your policies, either intentionally or I'm just a loose cannon in that kitchen. And the question then becomes, is there a hazard in the work environment? And so even if you have a drug and alcohol policy, well, you know what? WCB does too. Even if they're under the influence, then they're going to come back to, is it the sole cause of the accident? And are there any other hazards that any other worker would be subjected to and could get hurt? Even if I'm going to use an analogy, someone knows that they have to wear steel-toed boots, steel-toed boots. It's communicated all the time. And on this one day, they just popped in, Oh, they pulled up in flip-flops And on the way into the trailer to pick up some documents, they've tripped on the stairs. Did they violate your policy? Oh, yeah. Is there still a hazard of the stairs? Oh, yeah. Even on stairs and steel toe boots, I can still trip and fall. So they're going to likely look to accept that. And so if you think I'm going to do the drug and alcohol test and that has some bad outcomes for that worker and you terminate them in WCB's eyes, very likely that's going to be you did not offer modified duties. It doesn't matter really the reason. You did not. And I've had this go around with employers a lot, but they violated the policy. Yeah, WCB has their policy, so they're going to go with that. And I think you you really highlighted an important factor was that there was still a hazard at the work site. And when you're doing your investigation, your internal investigation, how often do you only ever have one cause at the worker level and that's it and you stop your investigation period. Right. There's going to be a multiple. Absolutely. And so it's not this magic pill that just washes away all of your other 
responsibilities when it comes to hazard management and when it comes to making sure that the workplace is safe and even waiving the requirement for WCB for for that claim. And what is your ideal claims management process? If I were to come to you and say, you know what, Caroline, I'm starting a new company. I'm green. I have no idea what I should be doing. What would be your ideal claims management process? Don't tell them they can't claim WCB. <laughs> I've seen that. It's <laughs> <That's not, laughs> as 100% still happening. And you cannot do that. That is actually against the Workers' Compensation Act to persuade a worker to not claim something that could be actually work-related. Or the worker has claimed, but now the employer has convinced them to say it was a mistake. So please don't do that. Document everything. Everything, modified work offers, even if they refuse, text messages, any call with WCB, I'm making notes. I called today at this time. This is the conversation. Who is still going to have some to-do items? When is the next medical appointment? So they should be checking in frequently with their doctors initially. And I think that we need to make sure we have good safety management system processes in place. So still check on those. What's the disability management plan? Did we sign up for OAS clinics, so the occupational injury services? Because there's a benefit to that. And for me, ideal after an incident and we've got someone back to work, are workers still reporting things or have they gone underground? That's really going to say we've handled this properly and this is going to be a success marker. We're still working on prevention. We're still doing corrective actions. I'm thinking about my hiring processes. And workers still report near misses that we haven't scared them. You mentioned document, document, document. What is, what's some advice to ensure that for our listeners that they're taking the right kind of notes or they're documenting the right types of things? What would be some document or note tips that maybe you could provide? I keep it running in one word documents. I don't have 83 different things. If it's going on for a while, I'll create a folder just specifically for that person. Maybe I've received a couple copies of medical reports, but I keep it in one document and I'm going to keep a running list of items that are outstanding. And these aren't full paragraphs. I'm just doing point form. Call WCB today. This is what the call center told me. That last medical report is on file and the next medical report is this date. And that's it. So point form, because I don't want to read through 83 pages. I want to find out (laughs) what is the next step and what are we waiting for? One of the things that you mentioned in terms of the success of the overall claims management was that the worker doesn't go underground when they're back. What are some other measurements or how do you measure the success of a claims management process or of the entire claims management system at large? I think we have to do our leading and lagging indicators. Are we engaging in those healthy safety activities that are focusing on prevention? And sometimes it is going to be corporate goals that have been set, those key performance indicators. They're trying to reduce WCB rates. Maybe they put in some new policies that have focused on modified work conversations, and they've now seen that lost time days have truly dropped because we're more active in offering modified duties. Or maybe they were delayed in getting people to the medical clinic and now we do have one day of time lost. How do we improve that? So I think it's going to depend on your internal goals 
and how things have been going. But the only way that we can do that is to do leading indicators. Maybe we have updated policies. Maybe there was a worker who found a loophole last year and we've successfully closed that because another worker, we've used that policy now and it's been beneficial. Hmm. When somebody is new to the claims management process, or maybe they're now tasked with taking over more of that responsibility within their organization, what high-level kind of advice would you give for them? Get informed. Get informed. And there's two different sides. There's the WCB's perspective, which is the workers, and also the employer's perspective. So, Amy, you mentioned those WCB seminars. Yeah, they're free seminars. You can sign up through your employer and they're half-day seminars. And that's going to give you the WCB perspective, which is important to know which policies do I just have to accept and move within. But then take an outside course. I teach at the Alberta Motor Transport Association. We do managing injuries in the workplace. And we're going to talk about all sorts of things from different perspectives. And then read the WCB website. It is actually very well done. Lots of fact sheets. Policies are there. It's a transparent process. And I would also say read through updates that they're sending out. WCB does not change very quickly. And so are they opening policies for consultation? Make some contributions. Have a good disability management system. That will absolutely overlap into your safety management system. What are the hiring practices? Do we have a modified work program? Employers struggle with modified work. We don't have anything. Well, anytime you've heard a worker say, I really wish we had time to clean the shop, organize the chemical drawer. Those are good, viable, modified work options. So brainstorm in advance. What are the different levels that we can accommodate? Sedentary, light, medium, and have some duties available at that point for whatever may be coming. Regular and ongoing communications safety meetings, posters, sessions like Lunch and Learns about the disability management plan and modified work expectations. It's never personal. So no one to call in help. Where's my limitation? And close loopholes quickly because it's not personal. It just means your system isn't complete and there's still some work to do. We've been talking, I think, more specifically about WCB in Alberta. So what is the difference between WCB across Canada? Oh, that's or, they, or is it fairly consistent? Excellent question, Amy. All provinces will have their own WCB system, and some of them are a little more difficult to navigate. I've tried to work through the one in Ontario, and BC has some different viewpoints. And so we are talking about Alberta. But there is a really good website if you are working multiple provinces. I believe it's called the Association of Workers' Compensation Boards. And in there, they will even do side-by-side comparisons of what's happening in different provinces. They have some charts. All provinces will have different maximum earnings that they're willing to pay out for a worker. And so... Those charts I have found to be very helpful for side-by-side comparisons. And if you're going to be doing it in a different province, get educated. Yeah, exactly. Find out what are the differences. And that's going to be a learning curve for a little bit. 
Because there is a certain amount of time that Alberta WCB will cover your workers, but you need to know what that trigger is. And so if you get a knock on the door and say, hey, we just got a job over in Yukon or we got a job in Manitoba, part of the trigger for us as health and safety practitioners and professionals would be to dive in to the variations of the policies potentially, or call a consultant in that in that region and be like, so we're going to be knocking on your door. I hope never to talk to you again, but if we need you, can we call you? Exactly. And even as we head up into the Northern regions, what are medical clinic accessibility <laughs> versus here in a major center like Edmonton or Calgary, we have far more choice but those more rural areas might not have so many opportunities for access to medical providers to get them back to work. So I would definitely start at that Association of Workers' Compensation Boards website and then start rating policies and procedures. Find out who can help you through that process. And also, have you extended your disability management plans into those regions? Well, one of the people who could be able to help you is Carol Ann. So if you wanted to connect with Carol Ann, this is how you do it, Carol Ann. How does somebody get a hold of you? So LinkedIn. On LinkedIn, I do share any policy updates that WCB has or some new fact sheets or just things to manage your WCB account, like estimating your earnings properly. All of that would also be available through the WCB's newsletter and on their website. So connect with me and hopefully I can provide some really good insights on how to move forward for your WCP management. Excellent. Well, you know, the listener, you know, I'm going to be putting those links into the show notes so you can directly connect with Caroline. You've made it to another episode of the Transmit Safety Podcast. Glad to have you here and we will talk to you next time. Thanks, Amy. Thank you for being a part of the Transmit Safety Network. For more resources and to join our weekly newsletter, go to transmitsafety.com.